And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. We are in a series called The End Times, or you might call it The Last Days. Uh, we're going to start the book of Revelation this morning. And Lord willing, we're going to do it in three weeks. So we're going to move along pretty good. This morning, we're going to talk about the message to seven churches. And uh, uh, it's lengthy. It's a couple chapters. And let me tell you, it's going to feel a little bit different. My presentation will be feel a little faster this morning. Uh, this past summer, we went to Colorado on a vacation, and we were trying to get home real quick, but we wanted to stop in a, in a, it was a canyon park, and they said it would take a half a day to get through the whole thing. Well, somehow we did it in a half hour. Now, we didn't get everything out of it, but we got a lot out of it. Well, that's how the service is going to feel this morning. We're going to feel like we're going to do that half-day trip or half-day two chapters in, in, in just a little bit. But next week, I want to look at the events in the book of Revelation. And how people are responding to these events. And the last one, we'll talk about uh, the great white throne judgment. We'll talk about what the Bible says about eternity and real places called heaven and hell. But I think you're going to like it today. Let's go Revelation chapter 1 as the introduction to this great book. Revelation 1.1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is the purpose of this book. It is not just to predict end time events. It is to reveal the person of Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords, uh, which God gave to him, God the Father gave to Jesus to show us his servants the things that must soon take place. Uh, you, you've heard the phrase, the days are long, but the years are short. And life is like that. Well, the Bible has this capacity to look and see things that are going to happen quickly, even though it's been 2,000 years since these words were written uh, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. In other words, John the Beloved. John was a disciple, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An angel brought God's vision to him, and he wrote this in a book. And the promise to you and I today, verse 3, Blessed are those who keep what is written in it. It's not just a knowledge book, but it is an action book. And again, he says, the time is near. And then verse 7, a familiar theme, behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds. Now we're speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that next week. It was predicted by the angels when Christ ascended to heaven after his resurrection and he is returning to this earth, not as a baby in a manger, come on now, but as the king of kings and lord of lords. Every eye will see him. And I, John, your brother, and listen to these words, your partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. Now, if there is a word that describes the book of Revelation, it is perhaps the word tribulation. It is a book of trouble. It is a book of heartache. It is a book of plagues. It is a book of, you know, judgment in the world. But yet John had his own trouble. John was exiled as a Christian simply because he was a follower of Christ. He was exiled on this island called Patmos. Uh, they had thought his life was over, but yet he wrote this great book of Revelation. Verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was somehow more vitally connected to the Holy Spirit, more in tune with the Holy Spirit, hearing the Holy Spirit's words. And notice he said, and this is spiritual language, I heard behind me a loud voice with a trumpet saying, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Now the original audience of the book of Revelation, there'll be a picture on the screen 
where seven churches in Asia Minor. You can see if you looked in the far right-hand corner there, that's where Israel is, the nation of Israel. We're in the Mediterranean Sea is the blue. This reason of Asia Minor, if we started with Ephesus on the seacoast and go up Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These were all seven literal churches that these words apply to, but the words of Revelation catapult us into the future and apply to us as well for events that have not yet happened. So today what we're going to look at is these seven churches, and we're going to look at them uh, in, with three different commonalities in each one. Uh, the basic model is each church will have a commendation, uh, each will have a rebuke. Actually, two don't have commendation and two don't have rebuke, but commendation, rebuke, and a promise for those who overcome. There's language that you'll see in each church. In each church, you'll hear Jesus Christ say these words, I know your works. I know the life you're living. I know how you're behaving. I know what you're doing for me. Uh, you'll hear him say, uh, you'll hear him say that, uh, uh, that we're to, if we have an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the church. And then there is a general push in every letter that you and I be overcomers or victors uh, of the challenges we face in life. So kind of with that, it's historical, but it's future at the same time. Let's begin Revelation chapter 2 as we look at these life lessons uh, from the seven churches in Revelation. Ushers, we got a lot of people starting to fan a little bit here. They're getting hot already. We hadn't even got to hell yet. So, <laughs> Okay, Revelation chapter 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, it was a major seaport city, but it also had a, a, a temple. This is something that's very unique to these churches that we don't have, but they had pagan temples built to pagan gods where there was idol worship. This one temple was built to the goddess Artemis. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This church was about 40 years old. Uh, it's about the same age as our church here, Church on the Rock. But listen to the words. Here again, there's commendation first. Jesus said, I know your works. I know your toil or your service for the Lord. I know your patient endurance. Now, if you're a note taker, you're circling your Bible as I do, you're going to see that word endure come up multiple times. I know your endurance, and you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves an apostles and are not and found them to be false. In other words, there were false apostles, false leaders that were either in the church or traveling through the church, and they were judged to be false. And here's my question. How do you know if a, a, Bible, if a church leader uh, is true or false in what they're telling you? And friends, there's no other way other than to know the truth of God's word. I am a pastor. We are a church that believes in biblical inerrancy, which means that the Bible is literally God's word, that it can be trusted and should be fully obeyed. But yet there are doctrines that are often taught in the church that veer from the truth. But this whole thing, verse 3 says, I know you're enduring patiently, here you see it again, and you bear up for my name's sake and you've not grown weary. Now why this language of endurance and weariness is simply because of this is because it was hard to live as a Christian in their day. Until the time that Constantine, the Roman emperor, Christianized the world in about 300 AD, the Christians were persecuted. They were, they were not a, 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 a religion that had protection in any fashion. They were persecuted. It was hard to be as a Christian, and uh, it was hard to endure what, was, what they faced. But now, that sounds pretty good to me. If someone were to say that to me about our church, I'd say, well, thank you. But he didn't stop there. Now, listen to the challenge or the rebuke. And here's what you're going to find in the book of Revelation. 
I think one of the tragedies of modern day Christianity is we preach a gospel of easy believism and cheapened grace. And we've almost said that believing is just like having thoughts about Jesus in your head. And we don't do this intentionally. But thoughts in your head about Jesus is believing. And really the way you act is not that important. Well, the book of Revelation is totally different. You will see to all these churches built on the foundation of belief is a call for Christian action, Christian service, Christian holiness, Christian godliness, uh, that we're to behave in right ways towards the Lord. And we're constantly exhorted to a higher standard. You will not hear in the book of Revelation a condemnation for how we live, but yet a, a challenge to build us up and to live for Jesus fully and completely. So Jesus said, I have this against you because you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, though there are several interpretations, the likely one is that they had abandoned their love for Christ. Now, having said all the good things they said about them, this was a second-generation church. In other words, their moms and dads birthed it, and they had inherited it. But it seemed like they had purity of doctrine. They were living a high level of service, but they lacked deep devotion to Jesus. Now, how many know the greatest commandment in all the Bible is what? To yeah, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But somehow they had fallen into the rhythms of religion. They've done outward things, but there was a passion. There was a fire missing in their heart. Jesus said, remember from where you've fallen. Think about the times where you used to have your, your Bible study when you would wake up in the morning and spend time with God and you didn't even want to go to work because you wanted to read some more. Rather than reading one chapter, you'd read the whole book. Think of the times when you used to come to church and tears would fill your eyes with your love for God. Now, you can't recreate the feeling, but you can pursue the pathway back to that kind of personal relationship. Well, that's what he said. Jesus said, remember where you've fallen. Repent, which means turn around. Do the works you did at first. And here's a scary thought. If not, I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. The lampstand literally was the church referring to the existence of the church. Now here's the promise in verse 7. Every one of the churches, there's a promise that the Lord will make and it, has a, it feels like heaven. In other words, it's calling them to live at a higher level so there'll be a, a, a greater um, expectation of what's going to happen in heaven. But he'll say this phrase each time in verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear. hear. Yeah, in other words, hear the word of the Lord and then put it into practice. But there's another word that every church will hear. It is the word conquer. Some translations say be victorious or overcome. In other words, whatever the challenge is that you're facing, don't stop there. You be an overcomer of that challenge. And here's the promise. Jesus said, I'm going to let you eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The tree of life is mentioned in the Garden of Eden, but we see it again in the book of Revelation in a real place called heaven. Come on, somebody give the Lord some good praise today. Now, so that's kind of the rhythm of what we're going to do. Look at this second church. Now, this is a model church because there's no rebuke here. But it's the church in Smyrna. Uh, verse 9 says this, I know your tribulation. See, this is a theme that follows many of these churches. You know today, uh, missiologists tell us there are about 260 million Christians around the world. Now, the population of America is about 330 million. But So just imagine every American around the world is being persecuted for their faith. 
We've not experienced much of this here in America yet, but we could one day. But the Bible says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. In other words, because they were Christians, they might not get the best jobs. Because they were Christians, they might not be hired. And they were experiencing financial pressure. And what the Bible has the audacity to say is, you're really rich because you have a rich relationship with God. Notice this next word. Uh, you see, I know the slander. In other words, when people speak evil of you as a Christian, how many can wave your hand and say, I've had people speak evil of me as a Christian, slander me. Yeah, it happens all the time, especially on social media. And this slander comes from those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. What an interesting way to say that. Don't fear what you're about to suffer, but behold, the devil is going to throw some of you in prison. And you'll be tested for 10 days and have tribulation. How many know behind every persecution, the devil is at work? And a lot of times it seems like people are just maybe mean to you because you're a Christian, uh, your friends at school or wherever it may be, but there's a devil that hates us. And that's kind, of, that's kind of what God said. There's no rebuke. And here's a lesson in this. It's almost like their sufferings and their poverty because they were a Christian caused them to be living such Christian lives that there was nothing the Lord could find was wrong with them. I mean, when everything's going great, it's easy to live the Christian life. But when there's pressure... It'll either drive you away from God or it can drive you to God. And that's what it did. Now listen to the promise uh, that came to them, verse 10. You be faithful unto death. Now we don't speak about that much as American Christians. Because in America we have religious freedom. Whether you like our president or hate him, he has done more for religious freedom than any president in my lifetime. Not only in America, but around the world. I read this week an article uh, that they're building a uh, uh, kind of a, a library memorial to uh, the Coptic Christians. Remember, there were 20-some Coptic Christians that were killed in Libya by ISIS. You remember, it was all over, the, uh, all over the media. They were dressed in orange, and they cut their heads off. This happens around the world. Uh, but he went on to say, be faithful unto death, and here's the promise. I'll give you the crown of life. This is your reward in heaven. But the one who conquers won't be hurt by the second death. The second death is literally people being sent to hell. How many want to be conquerors in the room today? Come on, lift your hand. Let's give the Lord a big hand today. This is the way that we want to live. Even if hostility comes our way because we're Christ, we want to live there. Look at verse 12 of the church of Pergamum. First, the commendation. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, a throne represents authority. It represents power. We're not exactly sure what this is, but some scholars believe that there was a temple there uh, that was dedicated to the Greek god uh, Asclepius. It was a pagan god of healing, and this god was represented by a serpent or a snake. So it's possible that was it. But bottom line, Satan has great influence in this city, but in the midst of that, they hold fast to the name of Jesus and don't deny their faith. This is what you want to hold on to, that no matter what happens in my world, I'm not turning my back on Jesus Christ. Because in their day, it was in the days of Antipas, was a brother's name, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. We need to let this sink in. Satan hates Christians. And around the world today, there is an antagonism towards Christians. I can't understand in America why there's so much attack. 
Do you, do you realize that lawsuits have to be filed today so crosses are not removed in cemeteries dedicated to World War II veterans? It's like we live in a world that has tried to take an, uh, an eraser and erase every vestige of our Christian heritage. There's a demonic inspired hatred behind a lot of these groups uh, that, are, that are trying to do this in America. Now, uh, this, uh, this, uh, let's look at the challenge, verse 14. So here you got Christians that are hanging on and they're living for God in the midst of a painful time. And I would think, great. And the Lord thinks it's great too. But here's what he says. I want you to go a little higher. I'm hesitant to use the word perfection, but I'm going to say it. God's bringing us to perfection. Maybe a better word. He's bringing us to maturity. So what matters to us more than anything else is God and the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean we don't go to school. It doesn't mean we don't have fun. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy life, get married, have kids. But what it means, the number one thing that drives our life is our passion for Jesus Christ. Now look what the problem, verse 14. He says, I have a few things against you because you have some there that hold the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so they'd eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. What's going on there? Balaam was a prophet, not a Jewish prophet, but he was a prophet in the book of Numbers. And he was hired by King Balak to try to make the children of Israel stumble. He wanted them to, his idea was, let them marry pagan women who will lead them to worship idolatry gods. And they'll be involved in sexual immorality. So what he's saying is you've got people in the church that are promoting the same thing. Now, I, I want to pause on this just a minute and talk about our nation and our country, particularly about this phrase, sexual immorality. Well, actually, let me finish it. It says uh, uh, they need to repent because if they don't, Jesus said, I'm going to war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, I mean, no, that doesn't sound good. How many know to understand sexual immorality, we have to understand what sexual morality is? Morality means what's right and wrong. And in terms of sexuality, God created us as male or female and one of the most wonderful things he gave is the ability to experience sexual intimacy. Uh, it's why it's so popular. I mean, it not only makes children, but it's, uh, it's an enjoyable experience. Listen, to believe that the God of evolution created human bodies to respond as they do in the sexual experience takes a lot of faith. It is God himself who created us. But here's what he did. He put a fence around this sexual uh, uh, act. And he said, it's blessed when there's a man, a biological man and a biological woman that are committed to one another in a lifelong relationship called marriage. And my blessing is on that. But activity outside these boundaries are immoral or wrong. If you're a single person and you are exp uh, experimenting sexually, the Bible calls it fornication. It's never approved of. If you're a married person and you're, you are having a sexual relationship with other than your wife, a heterosexual, uh, with, with a, a, another a woman, a man and a woman, it's called adultery. It's never affirmed in the Bible. If you have homosexual feelings and you have sexual acts between someone of the same sex, it's outside God's boundaries. This is what the Bible teaches us. And I want to suggest to you it is infiltrating the church. 
And let me give you an example of this. Uh, this was an article that came out uh, just this week. He's a pastor. I don't know him, but he's an Assembly of God guy. He's a church planner. Uh, I, I, he loves Jesus. He's on fire for the Lord. Uh, wants to honor God. Wants to love all people. And here's how he's addressed this issue in our, church, in our world today. Assembly of God pastor announces his church is now fully inclusive of the LGBTQ, including serving as pastors. In other words, if you're in a homosexual relationship, you can be a pastor. Our church will perform same-sex marriages. I wonder if we can hearken back to the immorality that Revelation talks about. Today, we're, this, is, this is normalized in America today. Uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, he's running a Democrat uh, uh, presidential candidate. The, the man that he's married to came out and said recently, he said, well, if Pete gets in the White House, then you'll, we'll show you what morality is. You'll understand morality. So see, we're talking about right and wrong. We're not talking about loving people and hating people. We're talking about right and wrong. And the question is, how do you know? Do I have the right as a human being, that I get to decide what's right and wrong? Uh, is it the will of the majority? Is it the, is it the idea of the professor or, or the scientist? Or does God's word, listen, does God's word have to tell us where the boundaries are? And this is the big issue in Christianity in the world today, deciding if God's word is God's word or not. Is it authoritative or is it not? We try to go straight to the issue of sexual morality, but I suggest that we first answer the question, is the Bible literally God's word? Because from Genesis to Revelation, you find this fence where God blesses intimacy between a man and a woman uh, that are in a lifelong relationship, but outside of it, it's immoral, and it could get you in trouble. That's all I have to say about that. Um, Oh, I will add one thing. I'm choosing the Bible way. I, I, I can love people and believe in the Bible, but I can choose to live in God's boundaries. Now, here's the promise to the one who conquers. We're talking about conquering idolatry, conquering immorality. Jesus said, I'm going to give some of the hidden manna. Uh, manna could be, Jesus, of course, is the bread from heaven, the source of our nourishment and strength. I'm going to give him a white stone. Not sure what that is, but how many know Scripture says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. So how many know what God has for us in the future is something good? It's because of the grace and the mercy of God. Not my own goodness, but it's because of his grace and mercy that he's going to pour out to those who believe and follow him. Give him a Give him a big hand today. Let me bump up another gear, verse 18, to the angel. Now, when it says the angel of the church, it's not talking about an angel with wings. This is the Greek word angelos. It refers to a messenger, and it's likely to the leader of the church. So he's writing this letter to the leader of the church in Thyatira on behalf of the church. He gets good commendation. Uh, the angel said, I know your works. Your works for the Lord. I know your love, your love for God, your love for people. I know your faith. I know your service, again, for one another in God. Your patient endurance, and it keeps getting better. Your latter works exceed your first. But then he rebukes them. And I want you to listen to how similar this rebuke is to the prior one. Uh, I have this against you because you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants 
to practice what? Sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. So earlier we saw that it was Balaam, someone that was like Balaam. Now we see it's somebody that's like Jezebel that's doing the same thing. So she's in the church. She calls herself on her business card. It says she's a prophetess. And she probably has a gift. It just may not be a gift from the Holy Spirit. It may be a demonic gift. But uh, she's once again leading them into immorality and idols. The reason that's so popular, do you realize in their day, in these temples that were there, uh, when they worshipped these false gods, they would practice temple prostitution, both men and women. Practice, in other words, you'd go to church and part of your worship experience would be a sexual act with someone other than your spouse. And that was a part of their worship. It was a pagan practice, uh, just like pagan orgies. You, you read a lot about it today. Well, that was a part of their religion. And again, they worshipped idols. They worshipped sticks and stones. And uh, so people are coming out of these. They want Jesus. They want salvation. But they're not willing to leave their old world behind them. So what society uh, calls normal, Jesus is rejecting. Uh, notice what it says in verse 21. Now, this is pretty harsh. Jesus is saying this. He said, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. That's the spirit of our age today. It's like nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do it with whoever I want to, whenever I want to, and, and it's not your business. And you're a bigot or whatever if you try to tell me. Well, I'm not going to try to tell you. Everybody gets the right to choose, but Jesus says, unless you repent, big trouble is coming. Then he says this, I'm going to strike her children dead. Now, that may not be her biological kids. It's probably Jezebel's followers. And what he's going to do is he's going to purge the church by judgment. Not very fun, but, uh, but real. Now, here's the promise. I'm going to give you according to your works. In other words, if you obey my teaching, I'm going to reward you. If you walk in my pathway, you will find my blessing. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an encouragement for us. But here's the coolest thing, verse 24. To the rest of you who don't hold to this teaching. In other words, there's a remnant of people in their church, like the church today, that don't choose the path of immorality, that don't choose idolatry, that keep on serving the Lord when it's difficult. Uh, he says, you who have not learned the deep things of Satan... I'm not going to lay on you any other burden. And here's what he tells them. Hold fast until I come. In other words, life may be hard, life may be difficult, but you choose the path of righteousness and keep living that way until I come again. Everybody say, hold fast. Yeah, that's what we're going to do until Jesus comes. Uh, then he says this, the one who conquers. See, this, there's this whole, in none of this, these churches is there a, a push downward of condemning the people. It's a constant trying to pull them upwards and say, I want you to be conquerors. I want you to be overcomers. I want you to live godly. I want you to serve the Lord. I want you to pull out of the world and pull towards Christ. And if you do these things, I'm going to reward you. Now, in this case, he says, I'm going to give you authority over the nations. Perhaps that means that you'll rule with Christ in the millennial reign. I'm going to give you the morning star. These are all pictures of, of Christ in the future and eternity and what's to come. Let's keep going now. Chapter 3, verse 1, the church in Sardis. Now, Sardis is a, is a church that I'm troubled over. Uh, Sardis has no condemnation. In other words, he can't brag on them for anything. Um, once again, it was a city that was wealthy. It was a center of pagan worship. There was a temple to this goddess Artemis, and archaeologists have found the ruins of a Christian church right next to the temple. 
So the world permeates the church. No condemnation. Here's what he says. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're... So what does that mean? They were pretenders. They were hypocrites. They talked about Jesus, but inside it just didn't match up. And he didn't even condemn them, but he did say, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And here's what we all have to decide. Do we want our works to be complete in God's sight? And if we do, we follow the pathway of God's word. Remember this. uh, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. It's the turnaround word. But if you don't wake up, I'm coming like a thief. In other words, unexpectedly. And you'll not know when the hour I'll come against you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want Jesus coming against me. Come on, I want him coming for me. Come on, somebody say, give the Lord a good praise this morning. Um, Now, this idea of having a reputation for being alive... Other people looked at them and saw that they were, thought they were great Christians. They had a Bible under their arm. They went to church. Maybe they tithed. But yet inside they were hypocrites in their home. They didn't treat people right. They took advantage of people. Uh, they didn't show the love of God. They were, they were like the Pharisees. And listen to what Jesus said about them in Matthew 23. He said, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees? You're hypocrites or you're pretenders. You wear a mask like the Mardi Gras mask. Uh, Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let me know it's what's inside that's most important. And what Jesus is looking for is a heart that desires him, a heart of purity. He's looking for character. He's looking for integrity. He's looking for genuine love towards all people. Now, here's the promise, and it's, it's a good one. He says, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. In other words, the rest of the church is in trouble, but you've got people really living for God. Uh, He calls them white garments. White garments uh, suggest the righteousness of Christ. And his promise is the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. And this is a wonderful promise. I'll never blot his name out of the book of life. How many know that's the book to heaven? That's the people that are going there. Come on, how many can say that's where I want to go? Sure it is. Let's look at verse 7. We've got two more. Uh, The church in Philadelphia. Now, here's another great one. Because they're commended, but they have no rebuke. Here's what he says. I know your works. I have set before you an open door. Now, he didn't tell us what the open door is. But I suggest to you it's a door into the presence of God. It's a door into the favor and the blessing of God. Uh, No one's able to shut. I know you have but little power or little strength. In other words, it's been hard for you living the Christian life. Life has just beat you down, knocked you down. People have come against you. You've struggled. You've got a little strength. But you have kept my word and not denied my name. What a great testimony. You know, one of the things that our church always tries to do is we try to have multiple prayer points for people that are struggling. And every service, people come, you know what? Because all of us are struggling. And I can say I'm struggling most of the time. Come on, both hands and both feet. I mean, life is just like that. But here he says, uh, 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 he make, now listen to the promise, verse 9. I'm going to make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews but are not, they're lying. In other words, they don't, they don't hold to the true God of Jehovah. They're more like the Jews that crucified Christ. 
They're lying. I'm going to make them come and bow down before your feet, and they'll learn that I've loved you. Now, again, no word of rebuke, but a wonderful promise. And listen to this. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. See, when I do that, I want you to say what the word is. Patient endurance. In other words, you just kept serving the Lord even when it was hard. Now, this sounds to me like the great tribulation. We'll talk about this next week. There's going to be a seven-year period of time called the Great Tribulation. It'll be more difficult to season than the world has ever known. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. And then he says it again. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so no one may seize your crown. In other words, your reward from God. Hold fast to what you're doing for Christ, for what you're believing. The one who conquers, and here's the promise, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of God. I'm going to write on him the name of my God in the city of New Jerusalem. Now, how many know the devil's writing on people's hands and forehead 666? Jesus is writing 777. Come on now. That's what I want stenciled on my life, that I belong to the king, and the king was pleased with me, and he's got heaven that awaits me. Come on, let's give the Lord a big praise this morning. This... This is, is what Christ is saying to the, to the church. Now, I believe we're going to do it. Let me close with the last one, verse 14. To the angel of the church of Laodicea. It's it sad on this church, there's no condemnation or no commendation. There's nothing in this church that the Lord was proud of. Now, Laodicea, again, a wealthy city. And this caused the Christians problems. It had a large banking industry. Wool was a, a major product of the area. Now listen to the, to the challenge of the rebuke. Once again, Jesus says, I know your I know the way you're living your life. He says, you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, what does Jesus say I'm going to? Spit you out of my mouth. Now, that doesn't sound very good (laughs) to to say, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Well, let me give you a little background. They got their drinking water from the city of Hierapolis, which was, you know, a number of miles to the north. Water would flow through, you know, your aqueducts, the Roman aqueducts. I mean, they had the, the, uh, uh, the systems in place. But it would come so far, when the water got to town, it was lukewarm. Now, they were just like us. When we go to a feast or go to lunch or something, how many know you either want hot coffee or iced tea? If they get you lukewarm tea, what are you going to ask for? For ice. If, they, if your coffee is cold, what are you going to say? Warm it up. And, and what Jesus is saying, he's not saying hot's better than cold. What Jesus is simply saying is that's the way it needs to be. As a Christian, you need to be on fire for God. You need to be uh, ice cold in a good way. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be just kind of getting by and just kind of going along and yeah, and I'm kind of worldly and kind of Jesus. But here's where the problem was, verse 17. You say, I'm rich, I'm prospered, I'm not in need of nothing, and you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, they looked at their lives and they were wealthy. You know, they drove new trucks. Well, not trucks, but you know what I'm talking about. They drove new trucks. They lived in new houses. They had new clothes. They didn't have to wait for the sale rack at Dillard's when it's down to nothing to to see what's left. They would just went in when the season started and got the classy, you know, stuff. They had money. But what they did, the mistake they made, is they assumed that money meant God approved of them. Now, please be very careful. 
Money is neither moral nor amoral. Money is neither moral nor immoral. It is amoral. In in other words, money in and of itself is not good or bad. It's what we do with it. You know, the Bible's filled with promises of God's blessing for riches. You know, it's a blessing of the Lord makes rich, adds no sorrow to it. I mean, Deuteronomy says God gives you the power to get wealth. But it is not always a sign that God's pleased. And that's what happened here. They were spiritually bankrupt, but yet they were prosperous on the outside. They were poor, blind, and naked. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So you'll be rich in white garments. This righteousness will close you. What is this refined by fire? Any metal to become pure, they've got to heat it to a high temperature to burn the dross out or to burn the impurities. Well, guess what the Lord wants to do? He wants to purify us. But He won't do it unless we ask Him to. If you resist God, He's not going to help you clean yourself up on the inside. Listen, I was saved at 19. I'm ashamed to say it, but I want to say it so you'll understand who you're, who's speaking to you this morning. I was very immoral. It was one girl after another. Uh, I mean, I was drinking. I was smoking. I was living as worldly as I could be. And uh, I got saved. And you know what? I wasn't in a church. I didn't go through a class. I just started reading my Bible. And I went home from Navy boot camp. And my, my girlfriend, who I, I cared very deeply about, she was ready to... Go to bed again. I wouldn't do it. She didn't understand why. She thought something was wrong with her. But it wasn't her. It was me. It was because I had embraced God's standards. And I loved the one who loved me. And I had enough fear of God that I didn't want to cross the boundaries. Are you with me? And life... The Christian life is a process of sanctification where we desire for God to refine us, to clean us up, to purify us, so that we are doing all this is, is he'll say thank you, or to say thank you to him for what he's done for us. Come on. Just like you want to please your spouse, well, we want to please the Lord Jesus Christ as the bride of Christ. Give him a big, a big hand today. Well, I want to close with the promise of verse 20. Jesus Christ says these words. And he's speaking to professing Christians. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Which implies Jesus is on the outside. Stay with me now. Not the inside. Jesus is outside the church or in our own lives. It's like he's out there, not in here up close. Jesus said, if you hear my voice and open the door. You know what that means? It's, a, it's willingly asking Jesus to come in your life. And make you the person that you want to be. Or that he wants you to be. You're asking Jesus to refine you, to clean you up, to let your life, come on, live a life of honor and glory and purity to him. If we open the door, Jesus will come in, he'll eat with us, and we'll eat with him. In the closing, he says, the one who conquers, you're going to sit with me. Listen how good this is. You're going to sit on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my Father in heaven. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I don't know about you, but I want every good thing that God has for me. Come on, give him a hand today. He is worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet just a minute, and we're going to close. Now, next week, Lord willing, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to look at the events that are happening in the book of Revelation. And there's a lot of them, and we're going to see about how people are responding. But before you get ready for, for spaghetti or tacos or hamburgers or whatever, 
I want you to give me five more minutes. And we're going to take just a moment to pray. Because, you know, again, this, is, uh, this has been like seeing the, the park that takes half a day. And we just saw it in 30 minutes. So I realized this was kind of a big sweep across these churches. But he's, you know, you know something that I, I know. I know the Lord spoke to all of us today about something. And the Bible says that we're not just to be a hearer of the word, but we're to be a doer. And I want to give you an opportunity for, to make a decision about something the Holy Spirit spoke to you about today. Because here's what I know. It's a whole lot easier to make a godly choice in church than when you get back in the world in the middle of it. So would you just bow your head with me just a moment and I simply want to ask you this question. What did the Lord say to you today? What was it that you felt like there was a flashlight shining in your life? Not a flashlight of condemnation, I hope. But a flashlight of the glorious light of God asking you to conquer. Asking you to overcome. Asking you to be victorious. Because His promise is for heaven and beyond. Could we just tell the Lord some things? Lord, I don't ever want to leave my first love. And if I have, if I don't have a a vibrant time with you in the morning, if I'm not reading my Bible and praying, if I'm not trying to walk with you during the day, I want to ask you to forgive me. And I want to ask you to help me find my first love again. Jesus, I don't want to ever be accused of I love something else more than I love you. And Lord Jesus, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want people to think bad about me, but yet you know my heart and you know where I am. Lord, I want to ask you to help me to be the same on the outside as I am on the inside. Come on, ask the Lord that right now. I can't do it for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to refine you. Ask, give the Holy Spirit the right to change you on the inside. To make you into the person God wants you to be. Lord, I want to ask you if, if we have experienced or, or will experience any persecution or tribulation. Maybe we've lost a job because we witnessed for Christ and the boss didn't like it. God, I want to pray that our faith would stand strong. I want to pray, Lord, that we would not give up. Pray that right now. Say, Lord, don't let me ever give up. Don't ever let me walk away from you. Even if the price is hard or difficult. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Won't you just slip your hands to heaven and say, God, I can't do this on my own. And like a little child, I just reach out to heaven now and I ask you to help me. I want to be, Lord, the person you want me to be. And I want to ask that the Holy Spirit would just come and visit me and give me strength. I want to ask you, Lord, to forgive me when I've done wrong and put a desire in my heart to do right. I ask you, Holy Spirit, today to fill me. I want to pray, Lord, that if I'm like a cup, I want it to overflow with your presence so that it's more than a feeling, but it's spiritual power to live the life that you want me to live. Help me in this Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Let me tell you how we're going to close. We're going to have one last song, and after that song, you'll be dismissed. And if you can hang on till the song's over, I'd appreciate it. But we're going to invite our prayer team to come to the front. And they'll be here to pray with you if there's anything you need prayer for. Maybe something this message might have unearthed. Or maybe you've got family or friends that need God's help. Whatever it might be. But there'll be people here to pray for you. 
But let me tell you the most important prayer we'd like to pray. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor John, what my greatest need is, is I need a real relationship with God. Maybe you're aware of the weight and the burden of your sins. I understood what that was like when I was 19. I was raised in church, but how many know being raised in church doesn't get you to heaven? I didn't have a relationship with God. And I had to come to a place in my life. It was like this. Mom raised me in a, in a good little country Methodist church. And I was taught about Jesus Christ, if I can reference the cross. I was taught about Jesus Christ. But I lived this way. I lived going John's way. I lived doing my thing. I did what I want. And whenever I got in trouble, I'd look over my shoulder. And I'd ask God to help me. Sometimes trouble was so bad, I'd do like this. It might even be the seventh inning. The bases were loaded. We were down by three, and I was the last batter. I would say, please help me. But when he helped me or whatever happened, I would keep going this way. And I had a moment in life when I realized the weight of my sin and my need for a Savior. And I literally bowed my heart before God. And I turned to the Lord Jesus, and I asked him to forgive me. And I committed my life to follow him. And something changed in my life that very day. And if you're here today, if the Bible calls it being born again or being saved. And if you need to start a relationship with Christ, or maybe you used to walk with the Lord and you got away from Him, but you want to recommit your life to Christ today. Either one of those, when they start playing that song, if you want, to, if you want prayer for your relationship with Christ, I'm going to encourage you to slip out of your chair and come to the cross and let someone pray for you. I promise you we will not embarrass you, but there is something powerful about the step walking away from your old life, walking to the new that has the power to transform your life. So go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They are here to pray for you about anything. But most importantly, if you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thank you for coming.